sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. We have been looking at this time of transition with a series of guests, specifically religious freedom and transition from the Trump administration to an incoming Biden administration, and uh, changes afoot to be sure, both a retrospective and looking forward. Today, our guest is Kim Colby, director of the Center for Law and Religious Freedom of the Christian Legal Society an organization of Christian lawyers that I've been a proud member of since law school and always like to mention that. But Kim, always a pleasure to have you with us on Freedom's Ring. Well, I like that you mentioned that, and it's a great pleasure to be here, Alan. Well, it's a wonderful fellowship to have. You know, the whole notion of Christian lawyers is, to many people, an oxymoron to begin with. You know, how can you be a Christian a lawyer? But we Christian lawyers do like to encourage one another, don't we? And in need encouragement, right? Absolutely. It's not easy to be a Christian lawyer, is it? No. So it's a great pleasure to be with you today. So um, big ticket items, you know, big picture, looking at the Trump administration, on balance, a positive or a negative for religious freedom? I think it has to be seen as a big positive for religious freedom and for poor life issues, though. Um, it was a consistent view of the administration that uh, they would enforce the Religious Freedom Restoration Act at federal level, which is a tremendous protection for Americans of all faiths. And I think they carried that out. And they also uh, tried to undo some of the problems that had arisen in the previous administration of not respecting religious freedom as much as it should be. So I think, I think on the whole, it was a big, um, a good time, a good four years for religious freedom. Um, you mentioned in our brief discussion before we started recording uh, the Supreme Court. Obviously, been huge impact with three Supreme Court appointments. Do you see this court as being favorable to religious freedom? Yes, I think for the first time in my memory, it is strongly in favor of religious freedom and and a robust vision of religious freedom. I think um, I've been watching the court for. <laughs> Uh, three full decades, almost four now. And um, it's just really the first time, I think, where we have a number of justices who who just like religious freedom. You don't have to persuade them that it's a good thing. And that's, that's a, a really good advance for us. Your perception of these justices that they will be receptive to religious freedom claims by religious minorities, as well as, uh, you know, more mainstream religious perspectives? I think so. Now, so one of the evidences of that was there was the Muslim prisoner case that was brought, I think, around 2015, uh, where the Muslim prisoner wanted to have a quarter-inch beard, and the prison authorities said no for safety reasons. And under uh, RELUPA, the federal law that protects uh, religious institutions and persons, both in prison and in zoning disputes, an unusual law to link those two issues. But under that federal law, it was a unanimous decision in favor of the Muslim prisoner's right to grow a beard in 
accordance with just beliefs. So I think that also is a change, maybe in a way that uh, maybe 20 years ago, the conservative justices who might be more sympathetic to religious freedom were not necessarily sympathetic to religious freedom for everyone. And I do think now we have a solid majority on the court that understands that it does have to be religious freedom for everyone. It can't it can't be religious freedom that favors one religion but not others. It has to be everyone's religious freedom is protected. So I think there's a perception that, you know, Trump and his rhetoric um, was frequently expressing hostility to Muslim immigration, to, you know, Muslim interests. And so maybe there was a perception that his court appointments might uh, kind of share that. But I'm hearing you say that regardless of whatever the president's rhetoric was, uh, the court itself is, is solidly behind religious freedom for all. I think so. I mean, I know that uh, the Supreme Court decided Trump versus Hawaii involving uh, the um, immigration uh, or the travel ban. Um, and that was seen by some as an anti-Muslim decision. But that was a hard case, not so much because of the faiths involved, but just because of the way in which what claims were brought. Like the, there was not a free exercise or RIFA claim uh, before the court. In that case, it was brought on different grounds. And so um, I don't think that when people see the result as anti-Muslim, that's really a correct understanding of it. You know, I understand why people go there. Um, but I do think that this, um, this current majority is going to be very sensitive to protecting all Americans' religious freedom and not just a particular brand. How do you think the Biden administration will differ from the Trump administration in terms of their approach to religious freedom? Well, I, um, I'm concerned because just by way of example, for two big reasons. One is we're seeing a lot of Obama administration people uh, reappear in the Biden administration, and that's not surprising since Biden was the vice president in that administration. But of course, in my view, the Obama administration was not good for religious freedom. We saw the HHS mandate controversy where, you know, the little sisters have made two trips and sort of a third trip up to Supreme Court. And, you know, they they come out with a victory each time, but they're probably going to have to go back up. And I think we'll see the Biden administration putting back into place the rule that hurts their religious freedom and they'll have to go to the Supreme Court again. Um, but the other real concern for me is that Vice President Harris, when she was in the Senate, was the lead sponsor of a an act, and I think we discussed this before on your show, the Do No Harm Act, which is a bill that would um, eviscerate the Religious Freedom Protection Act. It wouldn't get rid of it entirely, but it would make it apply in very few situations. And since the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RIFRA, is what really protects religious freedom at the federal level, even more than the First Amendment right now, um, the idea that she would be the lead sponsor of that bill in the Senate, it didn't pass. It didn't come to a floor vote because the Republicans control the Senate. But that's just not a good sign. She doesn't understand religious freedom. Mm -hmm. um, if she's sponsoring a bill that would go after the 
main piece of legislation that for 20, how many years now, 27 years, has protected all of our religious freedom. With Congress being so divided, do you think that any of the more excessive types of bills like that one or the Equality Act, which so strongly favors gay rights interests as against religious freedom, do you think any of those are likely to to pass with Congress as divided as it is? And as we're doing this interview, of course, we don't know what's going to happen in Georgia, but I don't know how that the outcome in Georgia is really going to change the equation all that much, regardless of, and obviously if the Republicans prevail, then we have a Republican-controlled Senate. But I don't know that even if the Democrats win both seats, are they really going to be able to ram things through the Senate, um, the more controversial items? What's your view of that? I personally think it's incredibly important for religious freedom for uh, there to be divided government in this one. I think we need to have a Senate that's not going to do whatever the administration wants. So we'll wait and see what happens with Georgia. Um, You know, if Georgia were to return two Democrats to the Senate, um, then if they got rid of filibuster, they could do whatever they wanted. Um, And that's, you know, the threat before the election was that they would get rid of the filibuster. Now they'd have to have all, I think, think all of the Democrats vote for getting rid of the filibuster, but they might well be able to do that. And in that case, they only need 50 votes to get uh, legislation through. And uh, President-elect Biden uh, was very clear, you can go on his website still, website, that the Equality Act would be something he would try to get done in the first hundred days. Um, so I think we would see tremendous pressure if the Senate were also controlled by the Democrats, even by one vote. I think we'd see a lot of pressure to get that Equality Act passed in some Do you think that the Equality Act would survive a Supreme Court challenge? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> That's the problem, is we... The conservatives who are on there now are textualists, and they they do believe in, in deferring to the Congress. So, you know, that's one reason the Religious Freedom Restoration Act uh, tends to win in the Supreme Court, because the court says Congress decided that this should be, you know, religious freedom should really have strong protection. And I think if Congress passed the Equality Act, I think even the conservatives would say, um, well, this is what Congress did, and we have to read the text the way Congress passed it. And the problem with the Equality Act, of course, is that it has no religious freedom protections in it, and it actually um, gets rid of RIFRA as to any claims under the Equality Act. Uh, the Equality Act being uh, putting uh, sexual orientation and gender identity into all of the Civil Rights Act pieces uh, as a protected class. And so, unlike most other non-discrimination laws, there would be no religious freedom protections in the Equality Act, and it actually uh, really guts the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So, um, it would not leave the court with a lot of tools for protecting religious freedom under current law. If we- well, I, th- I think this discussion highlights the problem of existing constitutional law where free exercise of religion, which we all think of as a fundamental right, 
has really become mostly a non-discrimination kind of equal protection value, that you can't treat religion worse than whatever the comparator is. And in the COVID era, you know, the debate is, well, is the comparator movie theaters and concert halls or liquor stores and laundromats and retail more broadly, but it's still a question of to what do you compare the church and what should the church be treated equally with instead of there's a fundamental right and what is the state's interest in in overcoming that right? You know, yes, the right to be free of discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, that's a statutory right. It's not a constitutional right as such. Religious freedom is a constitutional right. So to the extent that the statutory right seeks to trump fundamental First Amendment right, uh, the Supreme Court, no doubt, would be urged to return to a you know consideration of religious freedom as fundamental and constitutional and therefore uh, robust in competition with sexual orientation rights. Right, exactly. And, you know, of course, that's what this Fulton versus Philadelphia case that the court heard November 4th is all about, right? Is So most of the listeners, we live in this ignorant bliss that uh, the First Amendment means what we read it to mean, which is, oh, we have the free exercise of religion. And, you know, back in 1990, in a decision by Justice Scalia that you and I have discussed before, uh, Justice Scalia, who I liked in many ways, but this was a very bad decision, Employment Division v. Smith, he greatly weakened, the court greatly weakened, the constitutional protection at the federal, state, and local level for religious freedom. So what you just described is exactly what happens, is it's a non-discrimination protection, which sounds fine until you you know, the Nevada casinos are open at half capacity. Thousands of people go in and gamble and right. yell and do whatever they want. But the churches cannot have more than, I think, 100 people. We're going to have to leave it there. Our guest today, Kim Colby, director of the Center for Law and Religious Freedom, the Christian Legal Society. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom ring.